If you were not with us last week, you might not know that we're strolling through the world of the parables. Just for a few weeks, we're throwing these dramatic narratives alongside our lives and we're seeing what the Spirit of God brings to life. The theologian C.H. Dodd offers the following often quoted definition. At its simplest, the parable is a metaphor or a simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease the mind into active thought, arresting the hearer's by its vividness or strangeness. So let us be arrested in our hearing in these days of listening to the parables, drawn in by these vivid tales. And might we be teased into action as these parables take a hold in our lives and influence our imaginations and our intentions. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in his field. While people were sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and went away. When the stalks sprouted and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. The servants of the landowner came and said to him, Master, didn't you plant good seeds in your field? Then how is it that it has weeds? An enemy has done this, he answered. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? But the landowner said, No, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. Let both grow side by side until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, First, gather the weeds and tie them together in bundles to be burned. But bring the wheat into my barn. Last week we learned that God is a reckless and actually not so great farmer. The parable of the sower talked of this seed-wasting farmer. Carelessly and without much precision or strategy, tossing seed hither and yon seemingly unconcerned, whether it lands on the road or the rooftop, the the delicious soil or the ditch. And this week, Jesus tells the parable of another not-so-great farmer, one who seems unbothered by the work of an enemy who seeks to wreak havoc on his harvest. These vivid and strange tales so let's get our bearing. Why, why would Jesus tell this story? What's happening in Jesus' time or maybe even 50 years later in the time when Matthew and his uh, cronies are writing this gospel, probably in 80 or 90 CE? And the reality is, is that the early church and the church that was emerging around Jesus was already breaking into factions. 
There are groupings and divisions. Those who are saying they're more true to Jesus, those who are saying they're more true to the Jewish rituals of religion of the day. There's divisions over who's giving in to the powers of empire and those who are staying true and faithful to the causes of the least and the little. Families and friendships torn apart over allegiances to God or government or country. Questions arise like this. How are we to deal with those who seemed initially to be like us, but now have kind of morphed or migrated to a different way of faith? Or they're acting in a way that we don't think looks like the way of Jesus. Or maybe a question along the lines of this parable. It seems to us that some among us are as worthless and sneaky as weeds. So how and when should we get rid of them? 2,000 years later, and we're still wrestling with these questions of who's in or who's out or uh, who's in charge when it comes to the matters of the kingdom of heaven. So as we dwell in the world of this vivid and strange tale today, I invite you to take a place, take a role that might be close to you. And I'm suggesting that for us who are Christ followers, God believers, people who might actually be watching a YouTube video of a church service, (laughs) that we might actually be closest to the role of the servants. We're looking at the fields and maybe raising our eyebrows and scrunching our nose a bit and thinking in our minds, where did all these weeds come from? And then we fashion that phrase to the Lord, in all due respect, Lord, Didn't you plant good seed? You know, it's that questioning approach where you're trying to be nice, but there's that dagger sliver uh, also uh, burning into the person. (laughs) Lord, didn't you plant the wrong seed? Maybe. In regard to the weeds, the landowner is blunt and simple. An enemy has done this. Okay, okay, we say. You didn't plant the wrong seed. It's the work of the enemy. Got it. But how and when do you want us to get rid of the weeds? These worthless ones. Your wish is our command. We'll get our tools, our weed whackers, our shovels, our screwdrivers, our three-claw garden weeder that we bought from that infomercial three summers ago. We'll get them. We'll tear them apart. I need to tell you that one of my domestic gifts is weeding. I'm a professional weeder. Raised well by my father to take long screwdrivers so that you can dig deep and get that nasty taproot out. Or if you're trying to do some subtle work, a couple of old butter knives, you know, just from each side... Gently, gently, pulling, releasing. And then this week, as I was poking around my garage, I found the very hoe that my dad taught me to hoe weeds with in the garden. This is a 45-year-old hoe or more. And, you know, my dad's voice 
You got to get to the root. You got to get to the root. Dig deeper. Use the angle. Get to the root. I am a professional weeder. So I very much get the uh, heart and intention of these uh, servants who are like, we'll go get them. We'll get the bad ones, those spoilers, those annoyers, and we'll have the pristine, perfect, weed-free field. It's going to be so pure and neat and controllable. And Jesus speaks to our anxious and maybe impulsive hearts and says, no, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. Let both grow side by side until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, first gather the weeds and tie them together in bundles to be burned, but bring the wheat into my barn. But we're self-proclaimed weed experts, Lord. Don't you trust our earnest hearts? No? Okay, we, we will sit on our hands and let both grow side by side. We'll trust in the landowner's timing and patience. And we believe that the harvesters will bring the wheat into the barn. So how does this story scatter itself alongside our lives today? As with parables, we don't try to get all the understanding in these minutes together as we spend reading and reflecting on the story. But let's start thinking about how this story might be taking root into our lives. Might we be prodded and maybe provoked by its strangeness? And the images that we might then carry into our lives and the way of following Christ in the world. Because at the heart of it is wait. Like Don was saying with the children's blessing and story today, wait. Jesus tells us to wait. Other ways that this might be phrased is leave it alone. Let it be. Or maybe even forgive. You might have other ways of phrasing these images or ideas, and I invite you to grasp onto a phrase. But I'm suggesting wait, let it be, permit it to be so, forgive. This is not a passive waiting, it's not a shrugging of the shoulders, because we live in this world where evil does seem to win. And the ways of the wicked so often seem to prosper. So uh, what are we supposed to do? There is work for us to do. I'm not implying that we just stay at home and sit in our little prayer corners hoping that everything's going to be all right because our friends or our neighbors or um, our family members are taking care of it. Yes, we're supposed to be advocates. Yes, we're supposed to be allies. We're supposed to be shaking our fist at the empire. But we do it in a way where we're not impulsive. We're not anxious. We do it as a people of goodness, a people who believe in the way of forgiveness 
or reconciliation or the way of putting away our swords and turning them into plowshares so that we might grow grace, we might grow forgiveness, mercy, and love. Because in the midst of our waiting, we also do some work, but we do it in a way that we put God's heart on display. And when we read and reflect of God's heart for the world and the whole story of God, we see that the big story of God's destiny for the world is love and for recreation. The psalm of the day that we read is Psalm 139. It paints this picture of a God who will never let us go, never loses track of us, we will never be lost. Nothing will snatch us out of God's hand. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. I come to the end. I am still with you. This is God's heart for us, and this is God's heart for the field of the world. And so as these images of waiting or letting it be or forgiving take root, allow these sprouting sprigs to change us, to form us, to guide the trajectory of our lives this week. And so I want us to hold on to these sprouting sprigs, but we also need to address the judgy words of Matthew that are found in today's parable. When Jesus talks of binding and bundling the weeds, he says the Son of Man will send his angels and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I need to speak to this because this verse or these phrases often have have given us lots of unhelpful mileage in the past 60 or 70 years. Often this has been a proof text for Christians telling those outside of their camp that if you do not trust in Christ as your personal Savior, you're hell-bound to a place of eternal damnation or eternal conscious punishment. But I'd like to remind us that there's 2,000 years of interpretation of this text that says, That's not the point of the parable. Yes, Jesus is talking of judgment, and that should be actual good news for us, knowing that the ways of the wicked will not prosper, that ultimately our world and the cosmos are in the hands of a righteous judge, a good and right God, who though sometimes it feels so slow, is making all things new and bringing our world to a place of ultimate peace and justice, and love. So when we read this part of the parable, receive it, yes, as God's good judgment for the weeds. And in the context of this story, Jesus isn't talking about them out there. He's talking to insiders. And in 2020, the insiders means us Christians. We are growing up in God's field, and some of us are wheat-bearing fruit, And some of us are weeds. We're imposters. Our hearts are bent on revenge or punishment, and we are going to get busted in the end. 
but we're going to get busted by a loving, justice-bearing, final-score-settling God who, remember Psalm 139, will never let us go. And no one or no thing will snatch us out of God's good and generous hands. So I didn't want you to get too distracted by the furnace of fire piece because I do want us to hold these sprouting sprigs of how we might live in the light and the wake of this parable today. What's the spirit raising up in our lives? What is God or how is Jesus inviting us to bring forth light and life? Because Jesus' heart at the end of the interpretation piece is for us to shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. What a beautiful image to carry with us as well, to shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. It echoes those early parts of Matthew where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So I invite you to carry these sprouting springs of promise that Jesus is and will water this week. As we wait, as we let it be, as we forgive, as we permit it to be so. These sprigs will grow because we believe in Jesus' promise that he will never leave us or forsake us and that he is working for his good in our lives for the blessing of the world. Jesus closes this parable and the interpretation with that refrain that we've heard over the past couple of weeks. Let anyone with ears listen. Listen.